0: You're listening to the Sticks and the Six Podcast.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode. 50 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, episode 50. But we have lots to talk about, including Hyman, Mirazik, and who bet on Evander Kane. But first off, how are you doing this week?
0: Ah, hectic, hectic week this week with uh, free agency signings, everything. And it was just crazy to see the amount of money. Forked over this time around, considering that, you know, the previous year teams were very, you know, hesitant on everything, um, uncertainty with the cap. And now day one, obviously, cap friendly is going to be very heavily relied on this episode. Day one, 163 signings, 296 contract years. Two hundred eighty-one million total cap hit and seven hundred eighty-five million total contract dollars given out on day one. That just blew the water out of twenty the twenty twenty free agency because that was just absolutely insane.
1: My question is, where's all this money coming from? Like, I, I mean, we talked so many episodes about how. You know, we're, we're looking at a flat cap for at least the next yeah. three years. And, and now all of a sudden we're forking over like 400 plus million over the next, you know, eight years. Uh, it's just I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't <laughs> get it. I just don't get it.
0: It's funny because, you know, teams want to lock up their best players. Like we saw with the Miro Heiskanen in, in Dallas, Kill McCarr in Colorado. You want to lock those guys up long-term and give them the value that they're worth. I totally get that. But some of these contracts that were given out were just really, really questionable. Like, I mean, Calgary Flames, like, I want a Blake Coleman, but just under $5 million? that's a and over six years too that's a bit too rich for my liking so i don't understand why teams are forking over i mean great players want to like get their payday i understand that but we're still not out of the woods like the cap is not going up anytime soon so bit of a risk there with some of these teams and contracts
1: yeah no absolutely and i mean Toronto. I, obviously, we're a Toronto podcast. We're we're least podcast. They kind of steered clear of most of this craziness, uh, mm-hmm. which we'll obviously get into a little bit later in the show. But I mean, we might as well get right into the 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 signings here because it was a crazy week. And I know we talked a little bit about it coming out of free agency. We talked about the draft. We talked about all that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned big big thing over the first few days, was defense and goaltending. Mm
0: -hmm. And it
1: just seemed to be everybody was spending money. And it made more and more sense as to why the Leafs held on to Justin Hall the way they did for the expansion draft. Obviously, you know, having to expose McCann in the process. But, I mean, you're talking about guys like Dougie Hamilton, who signed a a massive seven-year contract with the Devils. Um, and, and I say massive because 63 million, this is, this is a guy who 9 million per season. Um, we talked a little bit about Seth Jones and his 9.5 Zach Wierenski signed for 9.6 with Columbus. Is this, is this insanity or am I like, I just don't get, I, I don't believe that guys like Seth Jones are worth 9.5 million.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. To be honest, I'd rather have Dougie Hamilton at 9 than Seth Jones at 9.5, given the fact that, you know, obviously he was the biggest name on the market, going to rebuilding team in the New Jersey Devils, but they got some good names coming up in the pipeline, so they can do some damage. They had the space to do it, and they paid the price to acquire one of the top puck moving defensemen, and a guy who's capable of being a big-time offensive point producer in this league. So... If there was one team that ha- that could do it, it was the New Jersey Devils. They had everything going for them. It wasn't like you know Toronto was in on and going to give them nine million because that would just have been a huge mistake. But looking at their defensive depth right now, I mean, still a work in progress, but it's still pretty good. I mean, Ty Smith had a strong rookie season. Ryan Graves, um, you know, strong two way player, but we I want to see how well he does without the help of a Kale McCarr or uh, Samuel Gerrard or whoever his partner was, because I think they were like switching up uh, most of most of the time in Colorado. So I want to see what he can do. But the promise is there with Hamilton. And coming onto this team right now, if it's going to be Ty Smith and Dougie Hamilton as a top pairing, you're probably looking at that next year. But imagine Luke Hughes coming in in about three, four, five years down the line. And Dougie Hamilton is still in the fold. That's going to be a pretty interesting combination right there. Yeah, I mean, I guess my question, though,
1: is, I mean, we've seen Hamilton throughout the last number of years. And over that span, he's played for three different teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and to lock him up for seven years at $9 million, that's a major commitment. And, and yeah. I'm not – like, this is nothing against Hamilton, but – you have to start to question why he's been shipped out from team to team to team. Um, and, and I'm sure I brought this up on the pod before. Is it is it a character issue or is it that he doesn't mesh with the team? I, I'm not really sure. But to lock him up for seven years knowing what you know, I just this, – this contract kind of baffles me a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that is fair. I think this time around, I I think what was warranted in Boston and Calgary, I think that notion kind of was very prevalent at that time. But I think right now what we're seeing with Carolina, some of their decisions with their cap is just they didn't want to fork over the money. We saw how much, you know, Steve Iserman totally fleeced them in acquiring Alex Ndokovic and they couldn't give him the contract that he wanted which came out to um three million over two years you're telling me that carolina couldn't afford Midelkovich at that price same with jake Bean, uh giving getting rid of a promising defenseman to columbus only to have him signed for 2.33 for over the next three years i mean they couldn't keep him in the fold as well. So I think in this situation with Carolina, I think it was more that they didn't want to fork over the money or they're just having a really hard time to figure out where they want to go from here. Yeah, I know.
1: And I understand that. I mean, the, the, the Nedeljkovic thing will never make sense to me because I mean, there's a guy that (laughs) kind of carried you through the playoffs um, and through the tail end of that season and one, you get rid of him, but two, you're getting rid of you. You lost out on Mrazek as well. Something that we'll get into a little bit later as well. Yeah. But I mean, all of a sudden, you're you're talking about a team that did as well as they did this past season, and you're basically restarting a net. And we 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 know mm-hmm. better than anybody, coming from you know Leaf fans, what how what the importance is of having great goaltend and. Now um, I mean, we, I mean we might as well get into it, but Frederick Anderson signed with, with the Carolina Hurricanes, two years, 4.5 AAV. Um, again, sad to see him go from Toronto, but is this the guy that you know Carolina needs? I mean, we've seen what Anderson can do and, and he does take a lot of, of the responsibility on himself. Um, but sometimes it plays head games with him. And we've seen Anderson at his best. We've seen Anderson at his worst. Maybe the smaller market will do him some favors, but is that really what you want to bet on when you're the Carolina Hurricanes?
0: Yeah, and just going back to the defense for a quick second with their depth, obviously they got Slavin, they got uh, Brady Skay, but looking at it right now, Losing Hamilton, losing Jake Bean, and obviously they still need to sign Andrei Sveshnikov, who's probably going to get a big payday as well. I mean, that's a big hole to lose in Hamilton. But going back to Frederick Anderson right now, yeah. I mean, it really is a big question mark at this point. Because much like... Because giving up Nadelk, bitch, he was already a starter. You lost a good, capable backup, and a guy to take the reins when he needs to and James Reimer, and then you lost Peter Morasic. So knowing Anderson's decline, his underlying numbers where they really weren't that great, um, giving him just 500000 less of what he made the year before with Antti Ranta as the backup, who just has a hard time staying healthy, I think Carolina put themselves in a really, really unnecessary position right now because now you're probably going to be back at square one and
1: sorry you're you're also talking about injuries with anti-ranta i mean mm -hmm. look at what we dealt with this season with with frederick anderson as well absolutely absolutely yeah but uh yeah i mean I, i i don't know i I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I just kind of, it was a, it was a point that I wanted to make with, with Anderson. It's just the injuries that are piling up. um, He is definitely on the, the, the back slope of his career. Um, And and for 4.5 million, I mean, there was a reason why the Leafs didn't keep him around. I think he wanted a little bit more than, than what he was going to get. And it caused a little bit of, uh, you know, I I mean, it, it caused them to go a different route. And yeah, you know that's why they brought in a guy like morazik and I mean, like I said, we'll get into that in a little bit. But mm-hmm. go, like I mentioned, goaltending and, and defense seemed to be the highlight of the first couple of days of free agency, and pe- teams were paying a pretty penny to see see these guys, you know, join their their clubs. Um, another example: the the Seattle Kraken. Everybody was questioning what they were doing with their expansion draft. The names that were coming up on that expansion draft were just—I mean, it was asinine to watch. It, it just didn't make sense. Uh, you had a few guys like Giordano, who I personally don't think starts the year with Seattle. I think they retain part of his salary and move him for some some pieces. But um, I mean, they they go out and they they get Philip Grubauer, and and this is another one I want to talk to you about because the Avs, who are so close to being that, that Stanley Cup team needed to add a few pieces, which they did in, in, in free agency and, and the off-season here, and then they let go of their starting goalie, a guy who potentially could have won a Vesna this season, and he heads to Seattle where he signs a six-year deal worth $35.4 million. Are the... Colorado Avalanche looking to replace that in net because, as we know, goaltending is a premium at the NHL level. Good goaltending. And now now Seattle's sitting there with Grubauer in net, maybe not a legitimate starter on that team, considering the team that played in front of him in Colorado. But all of a sudden, Colorado's left with maybe not as capable of a goaltending option.
0: Yeah, kind of a similar situation with Carolina right now. Um, so much in, uncertainty in goal because, like, like you mentioned, you have Grubauer, who's who's been realistically lights out the past few seasons with the Colorado Avalanche, and he's made a name for himself. So for him to get paid, like, it, it was bound to happen. But the last two seasons— Uh, 2.63 goals against average, 916 save percentage, 922 this season, and 195 goals against average. Like, those are numbers that are going to get you through and push you over the top in the playoffs. To lose that, and if you're Colorado, they brought a Darcy Kemper. And I was kind of shocked that I was able to call this trade with Connor Timmons and a first to Arizona for Kemper. Losing him, they had to acquire him, and they weren't going to give up, you know nothing. They had to pay a premium, and they did, knowing the how stacked they are in defense. But like you said, I Grubauer is going from a perennial or potential team that's on the verge of a Stanley Cup to a team where they're just rebuilding. They don't have that much of an identity just yet. And You know, granted, he is an established starter. And I think there's some even more confusion to this because everyone thought that Chris Drieger was going to be the starter for them, considering how impressive his numbers were. The team has, you know, a relatively good defensive unit in front of him. Um, You know, Giordano, whether he stays or not, Alexiak, Larson, Susie, Jeremy Lozon, they got great depth, two-way kind of players, and that's going to go well for them. But you don't have... The type of defense that Colorado has, because on paper, Colorado defense is still better, given the fact that, you know, they still got well, they have Makar, they have Gerard, they have Devin they have Bowen Byron coming up as well. You got an elite top four right there. And to lose all that, to go to Seattle for a payday, which it probably wasn't going to happen in Colorado, given the fact that they signed Gabriel Landeskog to that seven-year or eight-year $7 million contract as well. It, it's a big risk for Colorado right now. And now you're going to risk on Kemper, who has started like numbers, but again himself, like Anderson, like Ranta, have had trouble staying healthy. It's a recipe for not necessarily disaster, but it's something that you really don't want to play with.
1: Yeah and I mean is is Kemper really an upgrade from Phil Grubauer I guess that's the big question um yeah I, for me it it's kind of you know they go hand in hand their 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 abilities are are fairly similar they're they're capable you know what they've done over their careers you know uh, within reason um similar numbers um now Kemper's been able to do it in Arizona, where maybe, yes, they have a bit of a weaker team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Arizona was able to retain $1 million in salary for the the Avs to pick them up as well. So, I I mean, I get the the money aspect of it. But if you're Grubauer, I mean, why would you not want to stay with Colorado? Why would you not want to be a piece of this? machine that's going to end up being a perennial contender especially now that they've locked up Landeskog Um, you know it it just it it does baffle me a little bit but maybe this is this is what we see with you know Marc-Andre Fleury and let's get into that in a second here as well Um, you know Grubauer is a a guy that maybe wants to go prove himself, to say mm-hmm. that, hey, I am the guy. I am the one that can put up these numbers regardless of what team I play on. And not not to say that Marc-Andre Fleury is that type of player, but look, he was taken in the expansion draft with the Vegas Golden Knights. He led that team to a Stanley Cup Finals berth. He has led that team year in and year out, with the help of Robin Lehner over the over the past couple of seasons. But now, um, with the Marc-Andre Fleury trade to Chicago, there was a lot of questions circul- circulating circulating rather whether or not he was going to play, um, having found out that he was traded on Twitter, which we'll, we'll talk about how classy the Vegas Golden Knights are in just a second here. But you're talking about a 36-year-old who – without a doubt, is going to be a Hall of Famer at the end of his career. First ballot for many, like many, many agree, he will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, but, you know, now he's going to a team that is certainly in the midst of a rebuild, um, has made some big, big moves, bringing in Seth Jones, bringing in Caleb Jones. You know, Taves is obviously still there. Kane's there to Strom. I mean, they still have a number of pieces, but now he's going to have the opportunity to show that he's the guy once again. Um, Again, not saying that he's somebody that wants that, that spotlight on him, but maybe that's the mentality that Grubauer has as well.
0: Yeah. I think the different, the biggest difference here between Kemper Grubauer and Flurry is that at least like you mentioned, Kemper is at least getting out of a terrible situation in Arizona and he's going to a really deep team. In Colorado, so he has that defense in front of him. It's just staying healthy. Grubauer, on the other hand, you mentioned the Flurry uh, trying and prove prove that you know I could handle going to another team and being the starter. Difference is, Grubauer has only been the starter for about a few years now. He doesn't have the accolades or the presence that Mark Andre Flurry has. Um, he seemed to have like you know taken the starter role in Colorado. Great, but Fleury is way miles ahead of him to handle this kind of pressure. I don't know if Grubauer is able to do the same thing as Marc-Andre Fleury did. But now jump into Marc-Andre Flurry in the situation in Chicago where you're going from, again, a conference final, potential Stanley Cup final team in the Vegas Golden Knights to a team that struggled down the stretch and missed out on a playoff spot. Granted that they had question marks and goaltending, they needed an upgrade there no matter what. Um, you know, I don't think that Malcolm Subban and I believe it was Kevin Lankinen were going to do the job. So I think if you have Lankinen slash Subban as your backup and Flurry as a starter, that's great. My thing is, I don't think Marc-Andre Fleury alone is going to carry this team just because of their defense. And the Seth Jones trade was a big price to pay. You're already thin as well there. Because looking at Calvin DeHaan, Jake McCabe was a good signing. I don't expect him to you know, make much of an impact offensively. Connor Murphy's there, Riley Stillman's gonna get a chance. They are very weak, aside from Jones and McCabe. Dahan has had his ups and downs as well. So if your defense is weak and Flurry is your last line of defense, he's gonna be on his head night in and night out every step of the way. I don't think that he alone can help make this team get to get back into the playoffs. And they may be close. And the defense could surprise us, but at this moment right now, it's weak, and the inconsistencies that they had this season, I think, is going to carry over as well.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I do think they're going to lean heavily on Flurry uh, in Chicago when the time comes. I mean, admittedly, selfishly, with with hockey being back, I I am glad that Flurry has not decided to hang them up. I think he's still got a fair amount mm-hmm. left in the tank. Yeah. So I, I was happy to see that. And you know, being being the descendant of a Chicago Blackhawks fan, um, <laughs> you know, it it is nice to see him sport one of the the greatest jerseys in all of sports. Um, you know, that said, uh, it, it, I do I do want to say how. How disrespectful it was for him to find out the way that he did, and um, you saw Alan Walsh, his his uh, agent, jump on Twitter once again and and post that same photo we've talked about time in and time out.
0: Sword in the With, back.
1: Sword in the back. Um, just such an iconic photo. I mean, I, I'm waiting for them to put that in the Louvre. Um, it, it's just <laughs> it's just a work of art. It really is. Great uh, Mona Lisa right beside the Mona Lisa, give it its own room. Um, <laughs> but no, I, 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 like I, like we had mentioned, I think, you know, goaltending was, was huge uh, in the first couple of days here. Um, obviously defense was huge. Uh, you want to talk about veteran presence. Uh, Ryan Suter bought out by the Minnesota wild signed in Dallas with Braden Holby. Each of them signed, um, uh, you know, fairly decent deals i believe uh holpie's was a one year 2 million dollar contract not a bad deal for him um and then Suter signed 4 years 14.6 which was a little higher than what i expected uh seeing as you know he's a veteran guy but he gets the uh, stability of knowing that he's there for 4 years and uh again a little bit of an overpayment for for a solid defenseman uh who hopes to play well into his 40s so um again there was a lot of overpayment for goalies a lot of overpayment for defense but there was a few forwards that were you know key to talking about as well and you mentioned one right off the right off the hop and Blake Coleman a guy that you know obviously we wanted to see to uh, come to Toronto after his cup runs with Tampa that said he he decided to sign elsewhere in Canada and signed with the Calgary Flames for six years and his cap hit um was uh, four point nine million uh, over those six years, a little more than what I think Toronto was willing to pay for a guy like him.
0: Yeah, w- way too high. Um, I pr- I probably wouldn't have gone higher than maybe three point five. So yeah, that's way in. That's way too pricey for my comfort as well. But I mean. Just trying to look at the depth chart right now, you're probably looking at him as a top six forward um, possibly alongside Sean Monahan and Dylan Dubay. I'm looking at cal friendly right now with, in terms of the depth. Um, I, depending on what happens in the season, I don't know, but I mean, looking at his numbers, I don't know if his if he's able going or if he's able to replicate top six production. I mean, he was a top six player in New Jersey, and the most he had was 36 points. Um, I mean, he scored 22 and 21 goals in back-to-back seasons before being traded to Tampa Bay as well, but the third-line production was still there. So to pay that kind of money for middle six, second-line production to probably get third-line results... Yeah, I I, I don't know. I really don't know. As much as I love Blake Coleman, that to me is just a really, really big gamble on Calgary's part. Yeah, I mean, I
1: I think it would have been a decent deal had you signed a maybe two-year deal. You know, you can look back at it and say, oh, you know what, if it was a mistake, you know, it's a two-year deal. Now you're talking about a long-term deal at a cap that just – to me, doesn't really make much sense, um, mm-hmm. and I think we mentioned it way back. Like I'm talking an early episode where we we said, you know, the Stanley Cups add a few bucks to, to contracts, and I think this is a perfect example of it. Um, Blake same Coleman, Barkley
0: Goudreau, as well.
1: Same with Barkley Goudreau. Blake Coleman is a role player. Absolutely, he comes in, he does his job. He, you know, he does it well. Um, but at what point did did Blake Coleman become a $4.9 million player? I mean, I go back and watch some of Tampa's games and, and I mean, I, I'm not, I'm really not seeing it. I guess that's where I'm getting at it, especially yeah. when you're talking about a flat cap to pay a guy like that. 5 million. I mean, he's likely in your bottom six. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I just, I think it's a lot of money to hand over to a guy like that. And, and uh, you know, Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't come back to bite uh, the flames in the ass. But it, uh, it, it it looks like it could be a hefty price to pay over those uh, those those
0: years. Well, that line of Gord Goudreau, and Coleman, that their line was absolutely phenomenal. So the impact that they had throughout the playoffs, I mean, it doesn't warrant the contract by any means. But Blake Coleman is still an effective player. But given at where they are at right now. I mean, their cap situation is probably going to be a little bit more dicey for Calgary down the line. They have $12 million in change to work with to sign um, restricted free agents like Dylan Dubé. Um, they have the Nikita Zadorov as well, Oliver Shillington, Yusuf Alamaki. So they got some names that they need to take care of. But what about down the line? I'm not saying that 4.9 is a lot, but it can be a hindrance for you to sign names down the line as well. Because Matthew Kachuk, he's going to probably want more or maybe just get an increase over $7 million. Johnny Goudreau, he's going to be a restricted, uh, unrestricted free agent. Is he going to test the market? If he does, then you're kind of safe, but you miss a hole with him in the lineup. Sean Monaghan is going to need a new contract at the end of 23, uh, for 23 24 um you know you saw Milan Lucic on the book for 5.25 there needs to be some cap maneuvering or like be war wary of what you do with a cap in Calgary before anything else and this contract 5 million that's i mean it's not as bad as Milan Lucic's but it it can be and he's 29 6 years 4.9 for third line results you're not going to see a major, major increase in production or hit that 50-60 point mark at that age right now. So, yeah, um, interesting to see how things are going to pan out with this contract down the line for other players.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And and it does really set the tone for kind of like how contracts are going to play out. And, I mean, it kind of leads into our next uh, next couple forwards uh, that signed over the week as well. Um, obviously, we talked a little bit about how Grubauer signed with the uh, the Kraken. Well, the Kraken also signed Jaden Schwartz to a five-year $27.5 million contract. I don't mind this contract from a team point of view because they have the, the money to spend. Um, from a Jaden Schwartz point of view, I mean, sign the ticket while you can because – I don't think he's worth that money either.
0: Kind of similar to New Jersey with Dougie Hamilton, they had the space, they could go through with it. Um, you know, five point five. It, it's very similar to his contract in Saint Louis that he signed: five years, twenty six point seven five, just a bit over to twenty seven point five million this time around. So the thing is, with <clears throat> in comparison to like, let's say Blake Coleman's contract. Jaden Schwartz is a legitimate top six forward, a guy who's capable of putting up 50, 60 points, even though he hasn't had it, hit that mark. He's dealt with injuries in the past, but there are times where he's still able to get over that 55 point mark and close in on 60. So he is good for 50 to 60 points when he's healthy. Then again, that could also be the hindrance or the, the negative aspect of this as well, because if he's going to be injured for quite some time throughout this contract, it is going to hurt them. And Jaden Schwartz is not getting any younger. He's 29. So I think in comparison, I'd rather take Jaden Schwartz at this contract than Blake Coleman because of the production. But again, the injuries are still a factor because, you know, 57 points last year, 71 games. And like, there has... There's only one time in his career where he played 80 games, and that was in 2013-14, way back early in his career. Dealt with, again, dealt with a lot of issues. I I think if you're Seattle, you want to be wary of that, but this is a risk that you may want to take, but that could play out both ways. So, um I hope it works out, because even during that playoff run where they won the Stanley Cup, 12 goals in 26 games, he was really key for them. So maybe he could provide that offense at the top six for them here.
1: Yeah, I guess I think back to, I mean, who he was playing with and, and looking ahead to see who he will be playing with in mm-hmm. Seattle. yeah, it, it, it really will define how, how, I guess, promising this contract is over the next five years. But like I said, the Kraken Absolutely. have the room to spend. Um, you know, you might as well do it while you can. Uh, you bring in a guy who's been in the league for for enough time to really know what it, what it takes and who's gone on to win a cup as well. So the experience alone, I, I mean, I can see why they gave him 5.5. Um, but while you were talking about Schwartz, all I could think about is 29 and injured. Um, and it leads us right mm-hmm. into our next guy, Zach Hyman.
0: Before um, we get into Zach Hyman, I'm just going to point this out. Imagine Yanni Gore, Jada Schwartz, and Jordan Everly as a top line. A lot of questions. Can the production be there? But that is going to be a lot of fun if that does happen.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I I think the Kraken are going to be exciting to watch. They've done a great job so far in free agency. Um. You know, you get Maddie Beniers in there at some point over the next mm-hmm. two seasons, and and you're going to be talking about a team that. Uh, could definitely make a run at some point over the next four or five years, um, but yeah, jumping back over to Zach Hyman. Um, obviously, you know us Leafs fans, he was beloved in Toronto. We hate to see the guy go. That said, he signs a seven-year deal with the with the Oilers. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, twenty nine, <laughs> twenty nine multiple leg injuries. We've talked about his knee injuries. Um, He signed for, for, you know, a pretty big ticket with, with, uh, with Edmonton as well. And as much as I love Zach Hyman and I do, I think he was, he was one of the hardest working guys on the ice night in, night out, played through some, some crazy injuries, but I think this was the best thing for them was to see, see him go at a cap price where they could not afford it because I think they would have given him a contract if they could afford it. And Mm -hmm. I think at this point in time to let a guy who's 29 and has the injury history that he has, to let him walk, to bring in, you know, some of the players that they brought in so far in free agency to give an opportunity to some of the young players coming up in the pipeline. You would not do that if you kept Zach Hyman around. And I think the Leafs had to move in a different direction. And the Oilers coming in and paying him that big ticket was exactly what the Leafs needed.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if it was anything less than five, I would jump on that in a heartbeat for maybe five, max six years. But it was just too high for my liking and at the term as well. I'm, I'm happy for him like you that price is just very questionable and I'm glad that Dubis didn't sign him and he spread the wealth out in the signings that he made, which we will get to. But um, I think this contract is going to be good for only two to three years. I have a bad feeling after that, uh, given his knee, given the 5.5 price tag on it, given the expectations that maybe he's going to, I mean, production may go up because look who he's probably going to be playing with top center in the league. Um, but I two questions that I have right now and I want to ask you. Ryan Nugent-Hopkins 5.125 had ha, has had two six, back-to-back 60-point seasons in 2018-19, 2019-20. Zach Hyman is making more than him. Would you rather have Hyman at that price or give that money to Nugent Hawkins? And question two is, would you do what Dubas did in, I I mean, spoiler alert, but give that money to uh, Michael Bunting, to Nick Ritchie, to Andre Kasha and spread that wealth out? Uh, well,
1: I, so let me put it this way. First off, you know, for Hyman, great opportunity for him. Um, I think going out on the free agent market the way that he did and getting the the big ticket that he, you know, he deserved every mm-hmm. penny that he got. Um, he he played his heart out for Toronto, and I'm happy to see him get that opportunity. Now, from an Edmonton standpoint, from a Ryan Nugent-Hopkins stat- standpoint, if I'm Nugent, I'm feeling a little bit cheated. Yeah, I'm. I'm a guy who's been with that franchise through some of the darkest times uh, as an Edmonton Oiler.
0: A lot of the darkest
1: times. A lot of the darkest <laughs> times. And now, when the team is starting to become something, and I'm not going to say contender because I don't think they're contenders. I think they're something. Um, now you're you're you know taking a, a team friendly deal just to watch a guy like. You know, Hyman come in and, and, and take slightly more uh, over seven years. I, I mean, to me, that's a question mark. And I, I could see Ken Holland kind of going to the team and saying, look, guys, we need to spread out the the offense. We need to see, you know, a guy like Hyman come in and, and get that opportunity. Um, to 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 kind of move Drysaitel down the, the lineup a little bit, to move Nuge down the lineup a little bit, and get a little offense from you know the secondary tertiary players. I could see them kind of selling that, but at the same time, you know, I I I like I said, I I'm Nuge and I'm sitting there in a, in a room that I've sat in for for my entire NHL career, and and suddenly this guy comes in at 5.5. I'm feeling a little bit cheated.
0: And also, uh, given the fact that they have all that money forked over to those to their top four players right now and new time, and dry settle and McDavid, that defense is still stingy. you said the is something very yeah. stingy. Yeah, I mean, you haven't the fact that Ken Holland brought in Duncan Keith and said, oh, in 2015 or whatever, he like he won the Norris in the past. Well, newsflash. Duncan Keith is not the same Duncan Keith as he was, even on, even on Chicago right now. Their defense is still pretty much the same as it was last year, with Keith as the only notable addition. They also brought in Cody CC, which we all know in Toronto that he was not the best defender ever. And you sit, you're still going back to a Tandem and Miko Koskinen and Mike Smithinette. So you're not going to go far with that.
1: No, absolutely, and uh, you know you mentioned it. I mean, you want to make that argument that Ken Holland made for Duncan Keith. I mean, Randy Carlisle won the 1981 Norris Trophy. Doesn't mean you're going to bring him in and play him <laughs> alongside, uh, you know, guys like McDavid either. Like, yep. I mean, you can you can look at past Norris Trophy winners. It doesn't make them, you know, you're talking 2015. You're six years removed from this guy's this guy's uh, Norris Trophy. I mean, age does play a factor in in sports um shout out to randy for that uh, that 1981 norris trophy <laughs> but uh yeah i yeah i mean i think that the, the defense is still stingy i mean you traded you traded ethan bear to carolina um gave it, up johan uh,
0: Larson. Gave up Larson. Um, I probably, I, I, probably, I'm probably thinking of the law, wrong Larson right now. That's yeah, it's Adam, Adam Larson. Adam Larson. Adam Larson. There we go. I'm thinking of um, Larson from Buffalo or Buffalo to where? Uh, where did he go? I, I'm going off topic right now. Check out HockeyDB for that one. Arizona. Um,
1: Arizona. There we go. But uh, then, then you got Mike Smith and Ned, and and I mean, for all the offense that you have. If you're playing six, five games, we're talking about the 19, you know, the 1980s Oilers where, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's 11 goal game and you're winning by one goal. Um, it just, that's not the way this NHL plays out anymore. So I do think that, you know, the Hyman signing great for Hyman. I don't think it's the best thing for the Edmonton Oilers and, at the end of the day, they didn't really better themselves. They they may have shot themselves in the foot in terms of getting better over
0: the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. But if anything, they probably just stayed average. And given the fact that, you know, you have two of the best players in the world right now, not something you really want to do. No,
1: absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean – it is what it is. I, I think we'll 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 see that kind of play out in the in the next couple of years, especially now that they've got Hyman locked up for seven years. We wish Hyman all the best. Um Absolutely. obviously we loved what he did in Toronto. We loved the effort he put forward, we loved what he could do, you know, on the PK, on the on the power play, being that net front presence. Uh he was he was a valuable teammate. Um he wasn't worth five point five. But I'm happy that he's getting the money that he was looking for. So, mm-hmm. all the best in Edmonton, and and uh, you know we look forward to to playing you down the road. I do want to get into a couple of troubled players, um, and it's almost like we leave the bad news for for last on this on this podcast. But um, first off, the Carolina Hurricanes. We we mentioned that they picked up uh, Ethan Bear. Great, uh, great pickup for them. They also signed Tony D'Angelo. Um, mm. And I look, I kind of got into it a little bit on Twitter, as I always do. <laughs> I like to stir the pot. I like to stir the pot. Why not? Why not? But here's here's my argument. We had Logan Mayu. We had Tony D'Angelo. Um. And I'm trying. I'm trying not Jake to think Vertanen of it as well. Jake Vertanen, that's the other one. Thank you. Mm. I try not to think of their names too often, so I, I <laughs> tend to forget them. Um, now, Tony D'Angelo's back in the league. Logan Mayu um, will at some point be in the league, and Jake Vertanen will at some point likely be re-signed to a NHL contract at some point. My issue here, and and Ethan Bears come out and said that he's had contact with Tony D'Angelo. He, Tony D'Angelo said it's not going to be a problem. Um, they've had conversations. He says he's a great guy by all accounts. Tony D'Angelo is a an outstanding teammate from from those that uh, have been spoken to regarding this particular player. Um, and I I did say that I think if if there's one team that could kind of set him on the right path and and one coach that could set him on the right path, it's Rod Brindamore in Carolina, because I don't think Rod the Bod's going to put up with a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, am I excited to see Tony D'Angelo back in the NHL? Absolutely not. I don't think he's deserving of it. I think you can go back in my tweets and you can find the the spot where I said Tony D'Angelo deserves to to sign a KHL contract. Um, Look out, Russia. Um, But, that being said, he is he is where he is, and and let's hope that he's headed down a, a better path at this point because there's no place in in this world anymore for for the kind of shit that he likes to likes to spew on his on his uh, social media accounts. And hopefully, he's he's found a way to, to buy back a, a an old flip phone and doesn't have access to any social media at this <laughs> point. So uh, that's that's all I really have to say about Tony D'Angelo.
0: Um. I'm not going to say much. I like you. I don't think he really should be back. He's been given enough opportunities right now. He still manages to squander it. And like you said, if there is one coach that doesn't take anything, it is Rod Brindamore. I I honestly, I'm just, I'm just tired. I, 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 I if, if that were me, if I were the head coach, I would just say I wouldn't give him the time of the world. And I'm just going to leave it at that.
1: Yeah. No, and, uh, I want to get to one of the bigger, more concerning, more
0: crazy, I don't even have the words for this right now, um. It actually just dropped, well, it's now Monday, so. Yeah. Sunday. Yeah, I mean, the story of Evander
1: Kane, and I think there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of reports surrounding his gambling over the years, um this is not a one-time thing. This is not something that's just coming out of the, out of the woodworks. Now, uh, Vander Kane is somebody who enjoys gambling. Um, and, and we've seen, we've seen that even with the stack of money, um, in, in Vegas, the one time, Mm -hmm. um, I think, I think, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory in terms of who he is as a person and what he likes to do. That being said, um, Recently, his wife, or as he refers to her, estranged wife, um, is, came out with accusations that he is not only gambling and losing their money and not giving her money to take care of their, their child and, and soon-to-be children, um, but that he is gambling on the San Jose Sharks, gambling against his team or, or on his team, and that he's not being a great father. Um, so, I mean, you want to get into the familial stuff? I mean, that's 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 up to you. I I, I tend to stay away from from touching on people's personal lives when it comes to their mm-hmm. families. Um, the gambling thing for me is the biggest issue. Um, like I said, only because I don't want to get into the familial thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I won't call another father a bad father until I've seen reason as to why they are a bad father. So I'm going to leave that out of it, but I do want to talk about the, the gambling part of it because in a statement he released now, now she released it on her Instagram. She released a, an email that he had sent about selling their property, um, along with, you know, when your teammates are giving you, you know, gambling for dummies, um, Anyways, her statement was pretty clear on what she was saying. Now, his statement that he released, I believe it was today. Yeah. Uh, let's say August first.
0: Everything 1st. So, Yeah. Today. Yeah. Yeah. Even uh, one claim where she says yes, she even had to sell off her wedding ring.
1: Yes. Yeah. To pay for formula for their for their child. Yeah. Um So his statement comes back with, and I'll, I'll I'll read the first statement. I won't read the second one, but the, the first statement is. Unfortunately, I would like to address the completely false accusations that my estranged wife and soon to be ex-wife has made against me. Even against the advice of my legal team, I feel strongly that the public and fans hear this directly from me. I have never gambled bet on hockey. I have never gambled bet on the Sharks game, never gambled bet on any of my games and never thrown a hockey game. The facts are I personally had my best season of my career last year. And was the most consistent i've been throughout any season i'm proud of that i love the game of hockey and would never do any of what was alleged i look forward to cooperating fully with the league's investigation having my name cleared and looking forward to this upcoming season sincerely evander kane so with that said and if you haven't seen the second statement you can head over to evander kane's twitter page he's got it all posted and i'm pretty sure pinned to his uh pinned to his profile Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on this whole debacle um
0: well the fact that he said that you know i've never gambled uh bet on a sharks game bet on any of my games never thrown a hockey game i had my best season of my career um i mean I, I I don't know. I, I, I this is a very difficult situation right now because we do know of his past with gambling. He filed for Chapter Seven bankruptcy in the past. He said that, or there was a twenty seven million dollars in debt, and he was facing multiple lawsuits, court actions, what have you. And he has lost one point five million in gambling. In the past year, and this is from an article uh, from Scooby Axon from USA Today um, that wrote wrote on the news about this. So, I mean, he made, I don't know if he did or not. uh, Again, it's all speculation. You're hearing it from both sides of both him and from Evander and his wife. Um, Just because you personally had your best season. I mean, doesn't necessarily mean that you haven't gambled, right? Like you can still have a good season and then still gamble, but then again, this is all just speculation at this point. That's just me throwing that out there. But it this is something that needs to be dealt with. Um you know his the the financial situation that he's had in this past is concerning and yeah, just overall everything is just very troubling at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, worth noting that uh it was his best point per game average this season. Um I mean, take that for what you will. Yeah. Uh, just as you said, just because you had the best season doesn't mean, hey, maybe you're betting for the Sharks to win. Now, again, that this is all accusations. This is all alleged based on what his wife his mm-hmm. wife or ex-wife or whatever they are. This is what she's uh, uh, you know, alleging, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I think the whole situation just needs to get figured out because we're at a point now where it's like, you know, it's a he said, she said. Uh, you've got kids involved. Um, and, you know, this is not something that you, you pull out on social media. This is something you guys have to handle as a family. Um, and and if it does come out that he is betting on Sharks games, then you deal with that as you should. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Pete Rose, who still should be in the Hall of yeah. Fame, and that's a debate for another day. But yeah, I mean, again, this is a, this is another D'Angelo type of situation where there's not much to say aside from, you know, hopefully, hopefully, Kane and his his ex figure what out what they need to figure out and and, and keep the children out of it and and find a way to make it work because. You know, no, no, no kid wants to grow up in a, in a broken home. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what we've got here. So,
0: yeah,
1: I'll leave it at that. That said, let's jump over to some Maple Leafs and Marley's news. Yes, the Marley's. <laughs> um, got some
0: two-way deals going on. Got some
1: two-way deals going on. That's right. Um, The Marlies did sign, while the Leafs did sign Alex Biega and Carl Dahlstrom, two two two-way deals. Uh, Biega's 33, he's a veteran defenseman. Um, He's kind of been a bubble NHL player for a number of years. Dahlstrom's 26 was in the AHL last season with the Henderson Silver Knights. Um, He's appeared in 64 games across three years with Chicago and Winnipeg. He's a big, solid uh, defenseman without much offense. But again, if you're looking for that tough, tough mentality, he's definitely a guy that you can bring in as well. Um, the they also signed Michael Amadio. Um, he former Sault Ste. Marie Greyhound, uh, one of Kyle Dubis's favorite teams to <laughs> sign players from. Uh, he, he signs a one way, or sorry, one year, two way NHL contract with a cap hit of seven fifty. Uh, league minimum at the NHL level, and at the AHL level, 400k. Um, and finally, the they also signed Pavel Gogolev um, to a three-year deal. The 21-year-old played with Peterborough Pete's uh, of the OHL, uh, teammate of Nick Robertson and uh, Semyon. I'm going to butcher this. Argutchensev.
0: Argutchensev.
1: Oh, not bad. Not bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've been working I'm sorry, on I didn't, I didn't mean to uh, no, no. no,
1: no, I'm glad you I'm glad you did. I'm working on I'm working on my names here. But uh so base salary seven fifty, seven fifty, and seven seventy-five. Um signing bonuses seventy five K each of the first two years with a seventy seven point five K in the third year and the minor salary eighty K per season. So Again, another, another solid, solid player in Gogolev as
0: well. Um, as well, was signed to a one-year, $750,000 contract, two-way for that as well. Sorry, who was that? Metal. The, yes, yes, yes. Um, perfect.
1: Uh, anything you want to add on those signings, Peter?
0: I I was big on Pavel Gogolev giving him that chance or giving him that early signing before. Um, the fact that they signed him to a three-year kind of like ELC contract, I am absolutely happy for him because twelve points in thirteen games and six goals, and he he was on a tear. He was making a name for himself. I think that there is a lot of promise. In Gogolev right now, I think he could be one of those free agent, undrafted players that could benefit the Maple Leafs, just like Yanni Gore did for the Tampa Bay Lightning. This guy's a goal scorer. He's a point producer. Will it translate to the NHL? Again, I don't know. But if he's going to be playing in a death row and he has the offensive awareness to go in be aggressive and fight for that puck. I think this could really work out. So, out of all the signings, I really like this one.
1: Yeah, no, I've I've always been high on him as well. I, I love I love this signing. I think, uh, like you said, you know, signing him to that mini ELC, uh, it's a great opportunity for him, and and we'll see what he does with it. Uh, but the Leafs also invited a number of players to their development camp. Um, couple that uh, I'm very high on. Uh, but going through that list, Ryan Del Monte, uh, Landon Cato, uh, you also had Francesco lapena, Theo Rochette, Vincent Savini, and Jacob Guayvin. Um, But the two that I'm huge on are James Hardy, obviously. I think we've talked yes. about him before when we, ta- when we had our draft show. A uh, guy that has been passed over twice at the NHL draft, deserving of an opportunity. This kid is unbelievable, and I think... You know, we, we heard it last week with our guest um, Tony Ferrari that, you know, had the OHL had a season last year. This guy would have definitely been drafted uh, to some some NHL team somewhere in the seven rounds. He just has he has the NHL tools. He just, you know, there's a few things missing in, in terms of the development. Um, and, and I think it's a great opportunity for him. We're like I said, we're still trying to get him on the show. Hopefully, we can get him on. Um, the other one I'm, I'm big on, and if you check out any of my rankings from the last two years, Brett Budgel, um, he's a, he's a kid who came from Newfoundland to play, uh, with the London junior Knights, a minor midget in the Alliance. Uh, I want to say in his, well, his minor midget year when he was 15, um, and six foot 187 pounds left winger i describe him as a blue collar player so he's he's kind of the guy that will do all the intangibles um obviously you know played a couple games in chicago with the uh ushl chicago steel uh he also had you know headed back to the, Q- the qmjhl um and played for the charlottetown islanders this is a guy i want, I, I want everyone to keep an eye on 20 years old this is the opportunity he's looking for and, and he's, he's, he's going to play well. You, you watch his, look at his numbers. He's, he's, he's a solid, solid kid. So great, uh, great opportunity for all of these players.
0: Yeah. I mean, had his best production for the Charlottetown Islanders this past season and in a shortened season as well, where he had 40 points in 58 games, um, fourth season, um, Already 20, obviously an overager at that point, but still very impressive given the fact that, you know, short season and he still came out and made a massive impact. Um, Like you, I'm very high on Ryan Hardy. I was hoping that maybe uh, someone would have drafted him Um, in our mock draft. I had the Maple Leafs drafted him last year, Um, signed an ATO during the time off. It was a point per game player at the um, actually, no that that's wrong. I was thinking of something else or another player at that point, but still a player that has like a lot of great offensive tools, a shot, um ability to get into the open ice. i re- I'm really high on him. and I think that him and Bojo, Bujo are two guys that are gonna really impress like um as you mentioned, but I'm also you mentioned the Rochette. Very interesting, um, given the fact that he's a very silky smooth playmaker. I mean, a bit on the smaller side, and I know size isn't everything, but 5'10", 165 pounds, if he's able to, you know, work on his balance and his positioning a little bit more in those kind of, like, tough situations, like along the boards and everything like that, I think he has a lot of promise. And I think that, again, he could be a really good player kind of like a work in project, progress or project, if you will, to try and improve his game and maybe amount to something in the future. So I think just like you, those two guys, but Theo Rochette is also on my radar as well with the camp roster.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, like, like many teams, the Leafs uh, were, were pretty busy in terms of signing players. And, and that just kind of leads us into our next uh, group of discussions here. but. Um, couple of low-end signings, and I say low-end because I don't know where they'll fit in, but David Kampf um, signed a two-year, $1.5 million contract with the Leafs, another depth player, as well as Curtis Gabriel signing for the league minimum at 750000 uh, 750, just to come home and play for his hometown team. Thoughts on these two signings?
0: Yeah, um, we talked about David Kampf on the... Um uh maple leafs lounge yesterday and alex brought up a alex hobson our fellow writer brought up a really good comparison and i noticed this as well he's a le- uh, right-handed um riley nash or uh let me double check his handed is shot he's a left he's a left-handed riley nash i believe riley nash is a right-handed shot so you're going to get a lot of defensive minutes and a lot of defensive assignments with him. But again, those um, top and, or like that offense that you were trying to uh, translate or get more production out of him is not going to happen, but he does have really good positioning and his ability to like locate the puck, shut down uh, players. And, Pass it off to the players that do have that offensive mindset in in them. So he can be a very complimentary player um, in a bottom six role. I think maybe he could be a really good third line pl- uh, centerman. But uh, K- Kurt and Curtis Gabriel as well. Um, I, I I saw some of the videos that he online, and this guy's a physical force. Loves to drop the gloves. Um, if we needed if we needed some of that like energy or spark during the playoffs, I would have gone to get Curtis Gabriel to drop the gloves and set the tone and try and get momentum on our side, because this is a guy that'll do anything to win. And if he needs to fight, he will fight and kind of goes back to that whole grit, intensity, aggressiveness, whatever you want to call it, that was missing in the playoffs, Um, especially from Wayne Simmons, who we thought that was going to provide that edge. Didn't quite have it. I don't know if Curtis is going to get as much game time as Wayne. But if he does, expect him to set the tone quite a bit and be a factor. So I'm hoping that if it's not, I mean, he get into some games and make his presence felt. I don't know. It's not going to be a lot. But I would like to see him maybe, if he does, steal a spot and get a lot of minutes then good on him. But until then, um, remains to be seen.
1: Yeah, no, I know. Th- I, I think one of my favorite quotes, uh, I was talking to somebody about the Curtis Gabriel signing and they said, uh, you know, if if nothing else, he'll win you the warmups. And that's, you know, just because he's so good at stirring the pot and starting some antics in the in the warmups. I mean, he's not a guy that's going to go out there and play tummy sticks with anybody. He's going to go out there and he's going to set the tone early and that, that starts in the warmup. So, um, i don't mind this signing i think it adds energy um you know you play a team like washington you got a tom wilson out on the ice you know maybe curtis gabriel kind of slots in on that on that game and and you know garners an opportunity to play um you know fills spots for for injured players uh, definitely a guy that uh, i would wouldn't mind having in the lineup um but again I, i'm like you i think he slots in every once in a while and it just gives them more opportunity to uh, to really refresh that lineup when they can. Um, other than that, though, the Leafs did sign three other players, sorry, four other players, and I, I'm going to name them off all, all right now so then we can just jump into each and every one. Um, <laughs> we mentioned earlier that uh, the Leafs did sign Peter Marazic. Um Again, it was kind of like a goalie swap. Peter came to Toronto. Mraz came to Toronto, uh, who got him on a three-year deal. I believe it was worth uh, 3.8. I think it was 3.8, yeah. Thank you. Um, And then, obviously, Anderson went to the Hurricanes. Now, it wasn't an official trade, but in a way, it was a goalie swap. Uh, The Leafs also signed Michael Bunting to a two-year deal. And then uh, they followed that up with, and you had a great article on this, on the Hockey Writers, the Leafs signed Andre Kosche and uh, Nick Ritchie from the Boston Bruins as well. So give me your thoughts first on on Mrazek and then maybe run through those players as well.
0: Yeah, Mrazek, um, I honestly thought that the contract uh, with him and the contract that Anderson wanted, I'd rather take Peter Mrazik at 3.8 than Anderson at 4.5. I'm sure any of us probably would. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I'm, one, I'm trying to figure out or try to see some of the underlying numbers for some of the goalies. Um, not getting the results, but uh, Morazic has. I think he has a lot of upside to him in that and can very be that, you know, complimentary piece to Jack Campbell in his game. Both can slot in, both can play around 40, 50 games, take some of the pressure off each other. So that way there's no weight of the world on anyone's shoulders and be kind of those, um, the official one, a one B. Yeah, yeah. And I know that it really hasn't worked in the past where we saw with uh, Reimer and Bernier. I think right now where you have that calm mentality in Jack Campbell and Peter Mrazek, I think they're going to do their part no matter what um, and feed off each other. And hopefully, you know, they find success because I we thought that Anderson and Campbell, we wanted to see how that was going to work out. It did not. And we saw Anderson struggle quite a bit with his numbers and his injuries. Campbell just ran away with it with the 11 straight wins and was just absolutely dominant throughout the regular season and was and was holding his ground in the playoffs, too. Um, goaltending was not an issue in that series against Montreal. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's a really good bright spot for them right now. I do want, I'm I'm so glad that you brought Jonathan
1: Bernier Bernier up because I want to mention that the Devils signed Bernier to an, a two-year contract the AAV being 4.125 the fact that we got Peter Marasick for 3.8 and Jonathan Bernier went to the New Jersey Devils where he will very much be a backup to Mackenzie Blackwood for 4.125 absolutely blows my mind um and and that's where I think you know Dubis really did a phenomenal job in bringing Mrazik in because you got the guy for 3.8 and for what he did with Carolina over his time there um you know for me that's the seal of free agency right now for the Maple Leafs
0: yeah absolutely and I'm still struggling to find those goals uh the goalie stats right now I don't know why I'm having a hard time with that but I guess I'm just gonna have to say that for a later date but (laughs) um the fact that I, I I read somewhere that um Frederick Anderson's goal saved above uh goal saved above average was probably one of the lowest in the leagues and it was it's something that re- I really took note of because it was very, very low, and I think Jack Campbell was at one of the highest at that point. But um, I'm just going to throw some of the numbers out for Peter Morazic right now. He had a 933 even straight save percentage in 12 games um, during the 2020-21 regular season. So you have the ability or he, you know you're going to get a lot of great um, – five-on-five minutes with him, and he's going to be a real big factor in that regard. Frederick Anderson, on the other hand, had... If I can find it... I'm... i am Yeah, this is not going to good for me. Um,
1: Late nights, buddy. Late nights.
0: Late nights. uh, 9-11, even strength, say percentage. So, uh, yeah. Peter Mrazic, uh, granted um only had about twelve games. He had better number or had a better number than him in that regard. And I found the goal saved above expected average. So Peter Morazic had a four point four to goal saved above average during the 2020-21 2021, 2021 season. And this is from Daubers Frozen Tools. Um, great source by the way if you're looking at some of the underlying numbers as well frederick anderson on the other hand was at minus 8.54 so he was uh below the save percentage average and peter at uh, still low was still higher than that jack campbell on the other hand had a 7.82 goal save above uh goal saved above average so uh Maple Leafs are probably good to fare a little bit better with Campbell and Morazic getting those extra saves than Anderson at this point. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think,
1: like I said, I think um, for the for the dollar amount to have that one A one B and Jack Campbell, you know, he he did everything he needed to do to make Dubis really count on him uh, coming into next season. I mean. At the end of the day, Frederick Anderson was a major part of this this franchise. That said, Campbell really stole the show for them last year. And I think kept them in games where maybe Frederick Anderson wouldn't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's the biggest difference. So now, you know, the confidence is there for a guy like, like Campbell. Obviously, he's a guy that, you know, mentally he, he's very hard on himself. That said, I think having a guy like Peter Mrazek there, who's very confident. I mean, we saw that with his his press release when he returned from injury last season, where he said, "I'm back," and it was the yeah. pretty much the same press release that Michael Jordan made when he came back to the Chicago <laughs> Bulls. Um, that that just shows the confidence that Mrazek has, and and to get him for the price point that they did, I mean, you're talking about a Leafs tandem that you know you're paying less than six million for. Um, not many teams around the league can say that. So I I love the signing. Um, when I look at Michael Bunting, I think, you know, he's a guy that can really fill in the gap for, for a loss like Zach Hyman. Um, I think he offers up uh, kind of that, that uh, hard-nosed play. Uh, again, a guy that, uh, you know, obviously wanted to be here, took took less money to play for Toronto. I think that that's telling of what a player is worth. Um, and then I look at the two Boston players coming in, cache and, uh, and, and Richie. And for me, I mean, you're getting the two of them for cheaper than what Nick Felino cost Boston. And, it, and again, not a, a, an official trade, but, in some ways, it was a trade with Boston to say, "Hey, we're taking these two players for this price," and and they got Nick Felino for for the price that they got him. So, again, uh, great work by Dubas, I think, in terms of bringing these players in and finding those pieces. Only time will tell just how quality these moves are.
0: Yeah, and that's and that just goes to show that you know the dollar value of the players that they're getting back to, three point seven five. For both Kasha and Richie, um, than 3.8 for Nick Felino. And I got a lot of heat for this. Um, I said that Nick Richie is a younger, slightly quicker version of Nick Felino. And everyone is saying, Oh my god, you actually think Nick Richie is uh is quicker. Oh my god, you haven't seen him play, have you? I know Nick Richie's not the fastest player. And but he does, may, he may have more upside than what Nick Felino had. And granted, Nick Felino was able to hold his own on the top line. There were times also where he was lagging a little bit in terms of speed. So, out of all the players that the Maple Leaf signed right now, in order, whoever's going to replace Zach Hyman, I'm putting, if I was a betting man, I would put money on Michael Bunting to. Replicate the success of Zach Hyman. You could probably get that with Nick Ritchie because he has the size and the physicality to go in and establish a forecheck, and he had a better season, probably what his best season with the Boston Bruins, than maybe in 2018-19 with the Ducks. And um, I I do believe that he had a pretty high. Core C four percentage when he was on the ice with the Bruins. Then again, that was probably in a third line role. So, I honestly think that if he was inserted into that top line, um, with Matthews and Marner, I probably isn't ideal. But I would have Michael Bunting in that top spot, given the fact that he does have the speed, he does have the quickness and he does have that hard nose ability that Zach Hyman had, and maybe you could probably get more production out of him than you would with probably Richie.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. But I, I, did, I did want to mention, I think uh, Kasha, he's, he's kind of, I would say he's a 20-goal potential. Um,
0: for them absolutely. to get him
1: for the price point that they did, I mean, assuming that you know he's kind of done dealing with the injuries that he's dealt with over the past couple of seasons, that's, a, that's an incredible signing by by Kyle Dubas uh, mm-hmm. to bring in a guy of that that skill set uh, to be in a top six role. Um, I, I personally love it. I, I love the signing. I think Richie just adds some more grit to the lineup. Um, and, you know, yeah, maybe he's not the greatest skater, but he's going to throw his body around like nobody else out there. So,
0: And uh, also he could probably help mm-hmm. on that power play too. Uh, may not be on the top. if he is on the top line, Grant he would be a great net presence. um also has a pretty good shot, not the best, but better than what we have seen in the past. And yeah, I, I, I do think that he can serve in like multiple situations, five on five power play. And yeah, when I was looking at uh, going back, he had a sixty point six c four percentage shot attempts on that at five on five. And granted that this is probably his best season um, where he may, or he's made progressive strides in throughout his years. And this is the best one. I think there is promise in him that maybe he can be a top six. I don't know. I may not see it, but he is definitely going to give them more depth in that middle six spot.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And and like you said, maybe a, great net front presence for that power play obviously something we saw that struggled in the playoffs this past season um, but you know almost that Thomas holmstrom type player where he can just mm-hmm. sit put his butt in the in the goalie's face and and get those uh clean up the the uh, the grimy goals so um but yeah I mean if, if Peter if you had to grade Dubas's offseason thus far what uh, what are you giving him
0: I'd give it a B. Um, nothing major, nothing too out of the ordinary, but he did his job and it was as average as it was. He only had about 9.3 million coming in the free agency and he, I think he utilized that cap space very well, bringing in, you know, a possible replacement in Michael Bunting for, um, uh, Zach Hyman. He brought in Andre out a $1.25 million deal for one year to try and prove himself. And, you know, he's a strong, when he's healthy, he's a strong two-way player. And if he's able to stay healthy, this is going to go very well for Toronto. And they may possibly extend it, but they like what they see. Nick Ritchie, I think it's a wild card, but he still has potential. Um, Peter Morazic, to fill out that goaltending depth, they wanted to get a goaltender. They got it. Um, cheaper price than they would with Frederick Anderson. So given the fact, I mean, I I would, I don't want to, I don't want to give an A because it'll be too biased, but a B because of the fact that he did his job, didn't go over the top. But in terms of cost effectiveness for the players that he got, A, overall moves B, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely makes sense. And then just to be, uh, you know, be a bit of an asshole and be a little different here, I'm going to say a B plus. I give him a B, I give him a B plus.
0: <laughs> I mean, fair enough.
1: <laughs> no, I, I you Except know, just we got minus two.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I never, I never understood the difference between those two. But, um, yeah. I mean, Peter, I we do have a big announcement to make from a from a podcast standpoint um obviously we've had a great first season hit episode 50 here uh in early august um i've had a hell of a time you know having conversations with you on on a weekly basis about all things hockey and i and i'm you know as we mentioned we reached two thousand downloads prior to this episode as well so um for us to for us to to see what we've done um to 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 get the the following that we have over this time. It's been incredible. Um, but we are going to take a couple of weeks off uh, just to kind of refuel. I know you did a lot of work with free agency and the NHL draft and, yeah. and both of us have a lot of work to do over at the hockey writers as well. Um, you know, especially with our early, our early draft rankings for the 2022 draft. I mean, yes. it, it never stops. It never stops. So that's, Sorry, say that again. I was
0: about to say, already looking forward to 2022. And likewise, uh, chatting with you every single week, the talks that we've had, the opinions that we shared, learning from each other. I mean, this has just been really great. And to think that we just started this last August as well. um, On a whim. On a whim. When the bubble started never done any podcasts. i went out and got a mic when you told me that you want to start a podcast i was already searching up a good quality one and it came days later i'm, I'm so happy to do this with you man it really has been a real pleasure
1: yeah it's been it's been an absolute hoot and I, I mean we kind of stuck to sunday night's recording uh it's been a lot of fun you know i like to sit here and have a couple drinks while i chat with you so um it, it, it is a good time and mm-hmm. you know to, to do what we do we're, we're fortunate to do it and uh you know it, it is just the end of one season we will we will be back for september um we're just taking a few weeks off just to refuel like i said um but that doesn't mean that our socials will be down obviously we're still going to be all over twitter
0: we're yes. going to be
1: all over instagram uh t-shirts are going up for sale we're just trying to get the 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 uh, logos printed properly um and uh, continue to follow us guys um listen to our some of our greatest episodes over the last 50 episodes uh to reach this milestone is just incredible um and we look forward to coming back next season for for another 50 and, and more leafs talk so with that said we will sign off on episode 50 of sticks in the six we hope that you have all enjoyed the first 50 episodes and we hope that you join us in September for season two of the sticks in the six podcast. With that said, you can follow Peter on Twitter at P barricchini. You can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes or follow the podcast at sticks in the six pod S T I X I N T H E six head on over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you can listen to your podcast to download our latest episodes, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you all kinds of content going forward. That includes YouTube. Make sure you guys subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. We can continue producing great content for you guys. Um, And in the meantime, be sure to tune in to us while you guys take the GO train into Toronto. To check out your toronto blue jays who are back in the yes. six so exciting uh just a clean sweep today of the uh, kansas city royals so definitely make sure you check them out when and if you can um some some quality quality baseball there for for the young team um but uh with that said normalcy's back um you know heading back in the right direction uh, we look forward to hopefully being that way and maybe making it out to a few Maple Leaf games next season. Until next time, episode 51, in a few weeks' time, this is Andrew signing off for Peter and I on Sticks and the Six. See you then.